Well, I really appreciate Pastor James leading us through that exercise. I need that kind of exercise from time to time. Um, You know, we get to moving around in life so much and so quickly we can get out of touch with how am I really? And so uh, we need opportunities like that. We are borrowing a lot of thoughts and prayers today from the Psalms. And um, as Pastor James mentioned a moment ago, uh, we do well to pray the prayers that we find in the Psalms. The psalmist uh, knew God well. And uh, the prayer that we've just been going over with uh, Jerry's leadership is uh, from Psalm 51:10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And uh, that was a very legitimate prayer for David, right? Uh, some of you will recall that David was a very successful guy. Here's a guy that... Uh, rose to the top of the world, and he had more power, more influence, more wealth, uh, more admiration than, you know, arguably anybody else in his generation. And uh, God was quite taken with him. God said, here's a man after my own heart. And yet, he could get sideways in life, so caught up with all the stuff that uh, he could do some horrendous, uh, horrific things. And... um, Get sideways with God and need his heart touched and helped and healed and cleansed. And so that's uh, that's where we're headed today. Some of you uh, may be in the room today and life is going really well. And uh, the trajectory is upward and onward and there's advance and there's uh, gain and so on. And I'm glad for you. That's terrific. Others of you may be on the downward uh, trend right now and life is hard and it's feeling a little depressive. And uh, in either case, I think God wants to meet with us today and do a little heart touch in response to the heart check that you just did. Here's the thing we've got to remember, and that is that God is not primarily about trying to punish us and condemn us. Oh, I see your heart. I'm going to do something about that. He's not primarily about that. He's primarily about redeeming. And restoring us. And so if you did the heart check and you go, you know, gosh, I'm on the low end of this or I'm on the low end of that. Then the good news is the Lord wants to meet with you in these next few minutes. Touch your heart, help your heart, heal your heart, empower your heart to move on to a better place. And we're going to do that by way of uh, some reflections out of the Gospel of Matthew. And so if you have your Bible or your New Testament, go ahead and open that up. Find the Gospel of Matthew and look at the 8th chapter. We'll be in chapter 8 and 9. We're going to read several verses. And so uh, sometimes if you're not looking at it and reading along, you can get a little bit lost or you get a little bit bored. And you don't want to get either one with this because this is going to be very exciting to see who Jesus is, what Jesus is about, and how that can make a difference for you. Now, to give you a little geography about where we're going to be in the text, if you've been with us over these last few weeks, you know that we have been with Jesus in the area of Galilee as he has been doing mighty works. He's been doing miracles. He's been healing people and uh, great crowds have been gathering around him. And most recently, he has been at a little place called Capernaum which is on the the north and kind of the west side of the Sea of Galilee. 
And uh, if you don't know about the Sea of Galilee, it's a little bit of a misnomer. It's not really a sea. It's a freshwater lake. And it's about, oh, 13 miles long. And it's about 8 miles wide. So it's a sizable lake. To compare that to Lake Sammamish, which is just right out our front door, you know, Lake Sammamish is about 7 miles long and about a mile and a half wide. So the Sea of Galilee is twice as long, four times as wide. It's a big place. And uh, Jesus has been doing all these miracles on the North Shore there at Capernaum. Great crowds have been gathering in. And he's telling his uh, disciples and some of his followers, I've got to get out of here. We need to get in a boat, go to the other side of the lake. And so uh, that's exactly what they do. And they get in the boat and they begin to go uh, down to the south and east side of the lake to an area called Gadara. And uh, the town is about six miles off the shore, but all of that area would be known as Gadara. And uh, as they get about halfway into the trip, uh, they run into an exciting storm. And so that's where we're going to pick up with the story. And uh, if you're ready to look at that with me, we're going to pick it up in verse 23. So here we go. So when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. And, you know, language just doesn't, it, it doesn't get us there, does it? <laughs> um, if you unpack a, a few of the Greek words that are in this original text and look at some of the nuance, uh, when he got into the boat and they began to go out on the water and there arose a great storm, that word storm is seismos. Uh, it's the word from which we get seismic. It's the word that we use to refer to earthquakes. This is like an earthquake on the water. So we're talking about a horrendous, a terrific kind of storm. This wasn't just one of those, gee, it's really gotten blustery and raining hard and the waves are getting kind of choppy. This is, uh, this ship's going to turn over at any moment. Earthquake kind of storm. So much so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, just being covered by the waves. But Jesus was asleep. Now, how great a contrast is that? You've got this nutso, crazy, bizarro storm, you know, thousand-year storm going on on the lake. And Jesus is asleep. And they went and woke him. What are you doing? Wake up. And they went and they woke him, saying, Save us, Lord. We're perishing. And he said to them, now, you know, sometimes when the Bible asks a question, I'm incredulous. I'm like, what? So they wake him up. They say, save us. And he goes, well, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Oh, ouch. And then he arose and he rebuked. That's verbal. So the storm is like going crazy all around and the boat's just going nuts and, and then the water's just lapping over the top and everybody's screaming like a bunch of little girls. And he just shouts it and says, stop it. 
and everything becomes still. And there was great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, let me remind us that we are in a section of Scripture verses that are talking about the authority of Jesus. Matthew has collected a number of stories and just stacked them on top of each other to make a case to a very Jewish, very legalistic audience and to say to them, Jesus not only satisfies all of the legal requirements you're looking for in a Messiah, but he owns all the authority of heaven. And here's how you can know. And he tells story after story after story. And this is one of those stories that demonstrates and exclaims the authority of Jesus. And in this case, that he has authority over nature. This is why we refer to Jesus as being supernatural. That is to say, he is outside of and over above nature. What is natural? He is in control of it all. How else can this raging storm be taking place? And you just say, stop it. And it becomes calm. And so the picture that Matthew is trying to paint is that Jesus is God. And he has all the power and all the authority of the universe so that he supernaturally controls everything that's going on in the natural world. This gets into a big theology called sovereignty. And it raises the question, and remember we're still doing a little heart check here. We're still praying with David, creating me a clean heart. We're still inviting the benevolent great one to draw near to us and do some heart work with us. And to do that, we're looking at Jesus in this context of sovereignty, of, of almighty power, of omnipotence. He is so secure in the storm He's asleep. And they go and they wake him and they cry to him, save us. Now, that's a little, that's one of the reasons I'm a little bit incredulous about Jesus's next question when he goes, why are you so afraid? Don't you have any faith? I mean, to me, that was a faith statement. We've come to you. Because, you know, they had seen him do all these miracles, right? They had seen all this deliverance stuff and all this healing stuff and, and, and wondrous activity take place in Capernaum. So it wasn't like they were faithless, just without it altogether. So in an act of faith, they say, they turn to him and, and ask him, would you save us? We think you're the only one that can do anything about this storm. And the, the actual nuance and, and sense of what Jesus is saying is not so much, why are you afraid, but how can you be afraid like this? So Jesus isn't trying to heap a little guilt on you today, going, now if you believe in me, you'll never be afraid. You ever afraid? Check mark. You know, we're not talking about demerits here on fear. 
But rather he's saying, how could you have been with me? How could you have seen all that you've seen and have that kind of fear to that level, to that degree? I mean, anybody in their right mind in a earthquake size uh, storm is going to have some fear or else he's like comatose, right? But he's saying, how come you have that kind, to that level, to that degree? Because here's what Jesus is getting at. God is sovereign. God is in control of everything. God is in control of all that is in the natural realm. And when we begin to think about that more and we begin to unpack that a little bit, uh, frankly, uh, we don't like that too much. Because here's what that means. That means some of the hard stuff that happens in life, God planned it that way. God intended it to be that way. For sovereign, eternally wise reasons. And so, you know, put yourself in the place of the followers of Jesus. They're doing life with him. They're doing a journey with him. They're beginning to see who he is. They're beginning to comprehend. They're beginning to believe. They're beginning to understand what God's up to and that they are being invited into the mission of Christ. And so now they're in this life-threatening storm. Okay, so if God has plans for me to, in fact, carry through on this mission that Jesus is entrusting to me, I'm going to make it through this storm. If, on the other hand, whatever God's up to has some aspect of glorifying Him and drawing the attention of the world to Him through my perishing in this storm, then I'm in His hand. So, this little attempt to be helpful but misleading statement, the safest place on earth is to be in the will of God. It can be the dangerous place on earth, but it's still the place you want to be. With God, where He's at work. Now, uh, most of you know that Sherry's sister, Cindy, who has been here and spoken in our church before, uh, has cancer. And you may recall, it was close to three years ago that she got diagnosed. She went through a stem cell transplant and a good bit of chemotherapy. And she got to a state that is like remission. They don't call it that exactly, but it was like that. And she was able to enjoy that for some period of time, nearly two years. And now the cancer is back, as they say. And she's going through treatments again. And uh, probably will have stem cell transplant this summer. And the prognosis is a little precarious. And I had the opportunity to talk with her at length on the phone Friday, two days ago. And, you know, how are you doing? And a little update on some of her treatment plan. But then we began to talk about God. And we began to talk about theology. And what's God up to? And in my estimation, she has... The biblical perspective on how to look at such a hard circumstance. 
She's a daughter of God. A woman of God. God's got plans for her life. She is in God's hand. And she believes that Jesus is supernatural and He is able to heal her of her cancer. And thereby be glorified in her life and draw other people to Jesus because of the healing that takes place in her life. Or... She believes that God can so grace her in her disease that she can die well. And in dying well, others see the glory of Christ in her and thereby be drawn to Him. In either case, life or death, Jesus glorified with the hope of other hearts being drawn to Him. And she is in His hand. And therefore it is well. Does she have a preference? Yes. She's got daughters. She's got a grandchild. She's got sons-in-law, all that kind of... She wants to live a long time. She's praying for healing. Everybody that knows her and loves her is praying for healing. It's in God's hands. He's sovereign. He knows what needs to be done, and He will do what needs to be done. And if He heals her, we will praise Him. And if He does not heal her and brings her on home with Himself, we will praise Him. See, this is the way that... You begin to understand and live in and under the authority of God, the sovereignty of God. This is what Jesus was getting at about how could you be afraid to that degree? Do you not have faith? Do you not have a comprehension of the sovereignty of God? Now, the story continues. We've got all these stories stacked up. So let's go on to number two. Picks up in verse 28. And when he came to the other side, so they finally get to the other side of the lake. They came to the country of the Gadarenes, and two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs. And so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, it's kind of an interesting little phrase. Let me just pause there. So they get to the other side of the lake, they get out of the boat, and they begin to walk toward town. They come toward the cemetery area, and these two guys that are kind of living in the tombs, living among uh, the, the dead remains of people, are demon-possessed. When you read uh, Mark and Luke, you find out that uh, it's thousands of demons possessing this guy. And these supernatural, spirit, otherworldly entities that are inhabiting these men immediately recognize Jesus. Because he's a spirit, he's otherworldly, they know who he is. And they immediately call out to him, Son of God. They're shrieking, they're fearful, uh, they're trembling. Why? Because as they had understood it, they had this window of time to wreak havoc on this planet. They had this window of time to possess these men and to oppress these men and to uh, do torturous things to people. And they understood that 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 window of time would eventually come to a close. And when that comes to a close, this Son of God, this Jesus, would be casting all evil spirits to the abyss, meaning hell. And so they're like freaked out. 
Here we are just minding our own business, possessing this, these men and ruining their lives and, and terrorizing the town all around them. And the Son of God shows up here. What's He doing here? Why are you here? Is our time up? See, they knew the whole game. And they yell out this peculiar request. Oh, Son of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? And now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. There's your authority. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and they drowned in the waters. And the herdsmen fled, those guys that were watching after the pigs. And they went into the town, they went into the city, and they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Peculiar story, but Matthew takes this story, puts it in his stack of stories to undergird the authority of Jesus. And the point in the case he's trying to make about that, he says, Jesus is not only authoritative over all of nature, he's authoritative over all of the evil spirits, all of the underworld. And here's how you can see that. And it happened with these, the deliverance of these two demon-possessed men. Now... Here's what I think we want to reflect on for just a moment, and that's this. When these men get delivered, they become sane, whole, in their right mind, like they had not been for who knows how long. No longer terrorist-type people that you would be afraid to come close to. They go through this incredible transformation. The townspeople come out, see this transformation. And they turn to Jesus and said, we'd really like for you to leave. What is that? Except for the fact that that entire transformation process involved... The evil spirits fleeing from the men and going into a herd of pigs and then therefore over the cliff and they all drowned. And this was an economic disaster to these people, to this town. Well, let me say this. There's a lot of voices warring inside of all of us. And I'm not suggesting that you're demon-possessed. Although one of you I want to talk to later. (laughs) But you have the, the voice of the culture calling at you all the time to be this, to do that. You have the voice of Some abusive, wounding thing of your past calling to you be this, do that. 
You have uh, the voice of guilt and shame calling to you. Be this, do that. You have all these voices warring in you all the time. We live fractured, broken, busted, worn, weary kinds of lives. And the point that Matthew is making is that Jesus is the one and only who can come and speak into your life and bring an integration to all of that brokenness. Heal and deliver. Bring sanity and serenity to you. We're going to invite you to do that in just a moment. To engage the Lord in that kind of way. But understand, if that happens for you, it will not make everybody happy. There will be some people that really get sideways with you if you begin to have some legitimate life transformation at the hand of Jesus. We move on to the last story that we're looking at today in chapter 9, verse 1. And getting into the boat. So they said, get out of here. So he did. He gets back into the boat and he crosses over and he comes to his own city, which we know is Capernaum. So he goes right back to Capernaum where he had come from. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic, paralyzed guy lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith... See, the way you believe in Him, the way that you trust in Him, the way that you would bet your life on Him, that matters to Him. He takes note of that. And the way He saw the faith of these friends who are bringing their paralyzed guy to Jesus for healing, it makes an impression on Him. He saw their faith and He said to the paralytic, Take heart. Interesting phrase. Now, what's this guy's problem? He's got legs that don't work. He's paralyzed. Take heart. My son, your sins are forgiven. Wow. How powerful is that? And behold, some of the scribes, the religious guys who had kind of showed up to monitor the whole thing, make sure it was all kosher, make sure it was all happening according to the legal law kind of stuff. Some of the scribes said to themselves, oh, 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 oh. what did he just say? Oh, oh, this man is blaspheming. You can't say your sins are forgiven. Only God can say that. This man's blaspheming. He's, he's acting like he's God or something. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts... Say, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has, what? Authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and he went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Now, real quickly. The guy thought and the guy's friends thought his biggest need was to get his legs healed so he can walk again. 
Jesus sees them coming, takes note of their faith, is moved by their faith, and responds with a miracle that addresses what the guy needs most. Not legs, but heart. Forgiveness. A clean heart. And, you know, the religious guys get all freaked out. You can't do that. Who are you? You can't say that, etc. And Jesus, to demonstrate he had the power and the authority to forgive, heals. I know healing becomes the very big deal to us. And, and being able to walk again and being able to talk again and to see and to hear and things like that. I mean, that, that's very, very important to us. But there are bigger, more important, eternal kinds of issues at play than all of those physical circumstances about our lives. And Jesus went right to the heart and he touched the heart and he brought forgiveness to the man's heart. Now, there's not implicated in that the notion that his sin had caused his sickness. That's not particularly indicated in this text. And so sin does not always result, or I should say it this way, sickness is not always a result of sin. My sister-in-law has cancer. She's very sick. Uh, That's not because of sin. But sin can lead to sickness. And so here's the deal. Some of us are crippled in our capacity to have relationships because of sin. We don't know how to love very well. We don't know how to uh, receive love very well because we've gotten all kinds of crazy sexualized sins that have happened in our past. We're wounded and all messed up and screwed up about that. Some of us succumb to the sin of envy and jealousy, and therefore we're so sick about that we cannot have joy. And a sense of contentment. Others others of us uh, get all crazed in in our sin about this, and it has that kind of outcome, or that, and has this kind of outcome. So sin sometimes does lead to sickness. And forgiveness is the key that can bring about and restore us to health. So, here's where... Our Lord is taking what I think we've been reflecting on today with an invitation to you. How'd you do on that heart check? How's the capacity to be in the moment, to be present, to have a sense of joy and fun and delight, to hear the whispers of God? How's the heart? Because, friends, you are in the presence today. Of one who can take the guilty and forgive. You are in the presence of one right now who can take the disturbed. All that junk that's in the heart. All those voices that are crying out to you. All that disintegration that's going on in you. And integrate the self. You are in the presence today, right this moment, of the one who can take your faith challenges your uncertainties, your questions about His sovereignty, and instill confidence in you. These are divine encounters.
Do you want such a touch on your heart today? Now, if you had cardiac issues and you were going to go see a cardiologist, you'd want to know something about his credentials, wouldn't you? You'd want to know where he trained and, and how his record was. You'd want to know something of testimonials from other patients. Were they pleased with how he had dealt with their heart situation? Uh, that's fair to be the same way with Jesus as we're talking about the heart of hearts. And we've been spending these weeks in Matthew looking at, at Jesus' credentials. That he not only has the authority and the power to do, but he has the love and the compassion to do. And you've heard and you'll continue to hear some testimonials from others about how they are forever grateful that they have turned to Christ in these kinds of ways. So let me ask you, will you repent? Stop doing it your own way. Stop doing it without God significantly involved in your life, kind of figuring it out on your own along the way. Turn from that, repent from that, and begin to do it with Him. Believing, trusting. He's the only one that's really got the key to life. He's the only one that can bring the power to do any of the stuff that really has to happen in my heart. And will you in faith ask Jesus to touch and transform your heart? You're a little more in touch with what the issues are. You've been through the exercise today. His Spirit has been unpacking things for you over these last 20 minutes. Will you exercise some faith in Him and invite and cooperate with Him, drawing near and touching and transforming you? Now, sometimes He does that. In a supernatural touch, like right here, right now, in your seat. Sometimes it will happen over some process where he will give you multiple touches as you are involved in a small group. Or as you get involved in uh, something like Celebrate Recovery. An avenue through which you are constantly inviting him to touch you. The other night we were asking in Celebrate Recovery because it just kind of came up. uh, How many of you, uh, for high school days, more fun, more painful? And as we kind of surveyed the whole room, everybody in the room, more painful. Oh, yeah, there was a little fun factor there, but it was more painful. Listen, you can't come out of high school or middle school and have that block of years be on the more painful side rather than the more fun side and not have to deal with that. And we just happen to have a place for you on Thursday night, 7 o'clock, right next door. <laughs> that was for free. And um, let me say finally... As he is at work in you in these ways, will you testify? Will you tell how he is at work in you, how good he is, how gracious, how powerful, how restorative he is for life? Let's pray. So, Father, I'm praying for my friend right now. whose heart is disintegrated, wounded, a little sick, needs forgiveness and hope and help. Oh God, would you draw near right now? Would you embrace, would you speak the whisper 
into the heart. Would you do something that not only blesses my friend, but glorifies yourself? We pray that in the powerful name of Christ. Amen.